Dear Lord our God Almighty, the Creator of the heavens and the earth, it is your word we have come to spend some time with, Lord. We pray that your word will bless us today. Make us doers of the word we shall hear today, Lord. Lord, we pray that your word will bless us today. Even as we spend time, Lord, open the book of remembrance for each one of us. Write our names there, Lord, in gold. Lord, we bless you and exalt you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus. Okay, we will um, continue with the letters of Christ. Today we are going to continue with the church in Thyatira. I will read from Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. It says, And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, This thing saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first, notwithstanding. I have a few things against thee, because thou suppressed that woman, Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach, and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins of an heart, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, which have not known the depths of Satan, as they speak, I will put on you, upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already. Hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, um, I think that's about two weeks ago now that we first started the, this particular letter, the letter to the church in Thyatira. This is a church that you can refer to as committed but compromised. The letter starts with Jesus spelling out the four sterling Christian qualities of this church. One, Jesus commended them for their love. Remember that the church in Ephesus, Jesus rebuked them for having lost their first love. But this church was commended for their love. They had managed, as it were, to remain with that Christian love for one another, for lost souls, and for the Lord and Savior himself. Secondly, Jesus commended them for their faith. And we explained then that that word faith in both Greek and Hebrew is the same thing as faithfulness. And those two words are the same. So that if we say we have faith, then we must go on being faithful. If you are saved by faith, because the Bible says by faith are ye saved, then you are saved by faithfulness. That is what Paul means when he says you work out your salvation with fear and with, with trembling. Yes, you, you are saved by faith, but your salvation rests on your faithfulness. And then Jesus commended them for their Christian service. And I explained then that the word for service here is the word diaconia, which is the same word as deacon. Um, but that here Jesus was referring to their practical Christian service, what you will call mercy ministries. That is, visiting the sick in hospital, praying for them, visiting those who are bereaved, you know, mercy ministry. And fourthly, Jesus commended them for their endurance. 
and the word endurance means patience. Because we have explained that they, they were going through a really difficult time. Mainly because of the fact that in all of these towns, they had trade guilds. And if you belong to the trade guild, you really couldn't be a Christian. If you didn't belong to the trade guild, you couldn't do business. You know, so, so things were difficult for them. But Jesus said that they had persevered. And as a result of those four qualities, Jesus said that they had grown spiritually. They had grown spiritually. But he had an accusation. He had an accusation. Despite their qualities, he still had something against them. And very interestingly, this church that has these four sterling Christian qualities ends up having the longest accusation of all. The sternest accusation of all. And the reason why is that the one that we call Lord and Savior, the person of Jesus, the one we worship, is honest. He will tell you the good things. He will tell you the bad things. He will not just look at only the good. If there are things that are bad, he will tell you that there are things that are bad. Purely because he wants the best for you. You see, the Lord, those whom the Lord loves, he rebukes, he chastises. He will not be content until we are at our best. Until we achieve perfection. Now, let's look at the accusation which we have in verses 20 to 23. And I want us all to read that accusation together, out loud, so you can read and hear the accusation for yourself. And as you read, if the Holy Spirit tells you that something here has to do with you, then you begin to know how to make amends. Are we all there? Revelation chapter 2, we'll read from verse 20 to 23. One, two, go. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman, Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent for her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts and will give unto every one of you according to your works. There you have the longest accusation. The accusation is not as long even as the accusation that was put out against the church at Ephesus or Smyrna or Pergamos. Thyatira has very good Christian qualities but at the same time we find that Jesus has such lengthy accusation against the church is it possible to be what Jesus says about this church to, to really have that love of God is it possible to, to be a very faithful person is it possible to, to have patience you know is it possible to have all the good Christian qualities and still end up being a wishy-washy Christian? It seems it is possible. From this church we are looking at, it seems that it is possible. Then let's look at the accusation of Jesus. We'll look at verse 20 today. It says, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman, everybody say that woman, Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. The problem with this church, very interestingly, just one person. If you look at the church in Pergamos, they were a group of people. Just one person. Not a group of people. 
and it turns out to be a woman, a married woman. And the thing to learn from, from that is simply that one person can destroy a whole church. Because the strength of a chain is just the strength of its weakest link. No matter how big the chain is, if there's one link that cannot hold, then that chain is no longer a chain. So we find that one bad apple can spoil a whole bunch. So we should be careful. We should be watchful. We should be knowledgeable about the things of God. I mean, let me give you an example. There's a way this particular church is run. So that when, when a person, one person, when one person steps out of line, what I mean by stepping out of line, for example, here we don't see serpents. So if you come to church and you are leaving, somebody says that you are leaving. I saw those two people that were sitting by you, they look like serpents. And then there's a problem. Because if, if you are an ignorant person, you most likely will say, so what am I supposed to do? You say, come. Let me cast them out. Now, if you, if, if you are coming for the first time, maybe, well, you have an excuse to say, well, I didn't know. But do you know we don't do things like that here? Yeah, we don't see serpents. There are no serpents here. What I'm trying to drive at is simply that all it takes is just one human being creating diversionary tactics, just creating a problem, and you can destroy a church. But let's look at this woman. Jesus calls her Jezebel. So that we find that in the letter to the church at Pegamos, there is a reference to Balaam. Here again, in this letter, there is a reference to Jezebel. So Jesus takes us back into the Old Testament. First Kings 16. Then we'll come back quickly. I will stop at any point in time. And I'll explain why later. First Kings 16. 29 to 33. The Bible says... And in the thirty and eighth year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria twenty and two years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbar, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. So we are introduced for the first time to Jezebel in 1 Kings chapter 16 as the daughter of Ethbaal, king of Zidonians. Her father actually held a dual role. He was not just a king. He was also the spiritual head of the Zidonians. He was Ethbaal. I'll explain why what that means. And he was also king. So he was spiritual head and he was king. And you know that sometimes in the kingdom of darkness we do have the combination of both where the chief head of wickedness in high places is also the king of the place. Now the people of the Zidonians are the same as the people of Tyre. Her name Jezebel in their language, means primrose, which means a, a beautiful flower. But very interestingly, 
In the Hebrew language, that same word, Jezebel, means garbage. The Bible says that when Ahab married her, she came to Israel with 850 prophets. Of We call it Baal, but I found out that the correct pronunciation is Baal, which simply means husband. Baal means husband. This was a god that had a wife, and the name of the wife was Ashtaroth. When it says that Abraham, Ahab built an altar and also read of a grove, that grove was for the wife of this god. So you can guess immediately that all that their religion was about was fertility and sexual immorality. That was all that, that they did. And so she brought this fertility cult into Israel. And if you know the story of, we all should know the story of Jezebel by now. We find that just as her father was spiritual head, she actually occupied the role of spiritual head over Baal worship in Israel. She had prophets, 850 of them, under her firm control. And she had her husband also under her firm control because the Bible tells us in Revelation that Jezebel, the Jezebel in Revelation, though a married woman taught the people in the church to commit adultery and fornication. So we know, and because they are, the, the, the worship of Baal is fertility, sexual promiscuity worship. She had to have Ahab under her firm control because every time they met to worship their God, people could sleep with each other very freely. But when Jesus pinpoints the woman Jezebel in church, he was referring to the spirit of Jezebel. And basically the spirit of Jezebel is a manipulative, controlling spirit and will always have attached to it sexual liberty and laxity and freedom. It's a spirit that likes to dominate and distort God's natural order. Elijah rose up against her and we know the very famous contest that was held on Mount Carmel. After Elijah had killed all her prophets, the Bible tells us that her husband went home in 1 Kings 19. It says, And Ahab told, you would have expected that it was the wife that would tell the king, but the king Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me. And more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And we are told that Elijah ran for his life. The same Elijah that brought down fire on Mount Carmel. He fled. Because this, this woman, one of the things about her was that she had no fear of God at all. Because she considered herself to be a bit above the level of a human being. This is the spirit that Jesus identifies in the church. That had come in into the church at Thyatira. This Jezebel spirit. The spirit that likes to control the spirit that likes to manipulate. But what is very interesting, you see, because many of us will say to ourselves, well, it doesn't really have anything to do with me. I'm not like that. But the Jezebel spirit, above all things else, has the ability and the power to draw out from each individual 
that immorality, that lack of fear of God that lies inside that person. Let me give you an example. When Ahab, that is in Kings, goes to Naboth and says, I want your vineyard, please sell it to me. Your neighbor says to him, no, I can't. This is in the family. It is heritage. It will pass on to my own children and their children and their children. It's not up for sale. The Bible says Ahab goes back and feels very unhappy. Jezebel finds out. What's your problem? So he finds out that which is inside Ahab. He wants Naboth's vineyard. And what does she do? She arranges his extermination. And then says to him, the man is dead, go and take the place. And so the man goes and takes possession. What it was that was in him, he wanted that vineyard so badly. But he wasn't brave enough to kill, to take the vineyard. But if the Jezebel spirit comes, the Jezebel spirit will do the killing and invite that which is inside you to come and have your heart's desire. So that you have a situation where in the church, the reason why the Jezebel spirit could succeed in the church in Thyatira was that the people that were seated in the church already had a tendency towards sexual promiscuity. All they needed was somebody to pull it out. Let me give you another example. If all that I speak about is prosperity, I will find that those who like to hear only those messages will gradually begin to gather together. Okay, let me make it different. If, and there's a church like that today. If we started preaching that it was okay for a man to have two wives, and I can show you clearly in the Bible that there are people who had two wives and God did not punish them. Every man who wants to worship God, but really wants to do so with two wives, will begin to come into the church. All women who like to have just their husband to themselves will depart from the church. Free girls who don't care will come into the church. What I'm trying to say is this. The Jezebel spirit has the ability to just pull out that thing that is inside you. It's there. But you're a bit afraid to bring it out yourself so it takes control and pulls it out so the question to ask ourselves today is what exactly is inside each one of us is because as we sit down here the reason why we have gathered here today is presumably to worship God but that's how they gathered together in the church in Thyatira and they loved each other they, they, they went out to pray for the sick they, they went to the old people's home they washed their clothes they washed their floors they were full of faith they knew the word. They knew how to stand upon the word. Yet, just one tiny little area, one person gets up and begins to identify candidates for fornication and adultery inside the church. And, the, and willingly, people, they didn't say, no, 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 no. Thus says the word of God. But let's look at the accusation that Jesus actually puts across this church we have identified the first thing about the problem which is there is a woman and her name is Jezebel and I have explained that Jesus is referring there to somebody in terms of a spiritual control this woman's name in real terms, wasn't Jezebel. Jesus just saying that that woman is a 
Jezebel. So that we can understand the spirit that is behind her. Is the same spirit that was behind the original Jezebel. What is it that she does? The first thing is that she is a self-appointed prophetess. He says she calleth herself a prophetess. Nobody ordained her. She calls herself a prophetess. In the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you cannot appoint yourself. You can't. And many people go to places where the people are self-appointed. And they go there because, one, they find that there are many people there. And two, because things seem to happen there. A self-appointed prophetess. You cannot be self-appointed. When you are self-appointed, it means you are not subject to authority. And the whole business that God is involved in is a business of authority and submission. And I dare say that there are self-appointed people in churches. And in due cause, what they do is, they, they do. some of them go out later and set up their own churches. That somebody gathers together and we begin to pray. And then later, a full-blown church is born. Anything that happens that way is not the way God works. It's just not the way God works. So let's, let's understand that today. I remember somebody came and told me some time ago that there was a place that she was invited to by somebody. The fact that you see a human being inside the city of David, does that make the person a Christian? I've told you, let's all read the Bible so that even when the pastor is wrong, you go, you check and pray. And you know that ah, I buy books, I read them. I get to certain places, I mark out huge sections. I say, this one, I put comma and question mark over all of them. And then I go to other sections, I read. And I, it's okay. It's because you've got to understand, many of us, we read books. And we take everything we read. You can't take everything you read. You will take everything you read if you don't know anything. You shouldn't take everything you read. There should be things that you can say like David, ah, this person has a revelation that I don't understand, though. I cannot attain to it. And leave it alone. So somebody said to me, somebody asked that they had a, a prayer, prayer group that she, she, she was invited, she went for the prayer group, and they came back and told me, ah, the kind of prayer that they are praying there, she doesn't know. She thinks it's very bad. I said, so, what do you want me to do? He said, Tess, you should touch, you should tell me. I said, thank you for telling me. He said, did I send you there? He said, no. I said, good. I said, but thank God that at least you had some wisdom to understand that uh, there are prayers and there are prayers. And the standard should always be the word of God. And that should always be the word of God. How you see, you, you, the, the self-appointed human being is very easy to detect. He will or she will have a flavor that is different from the house. You know, there are various churches and each church has its own um, coloration. Let me put it that way. There are things if you come to this church and you've been coming here for two, three years, they told you that ah, they did this in the city of David. You should be able to say, mm, are you sure? Or you should be able to say, well, that's, that's okay. You should. And remember that the Bible says, at the very, very beginning of each letter, unto who? The angel of the church in Ephesus. And we've said before that there's an angel 
over each church. By the way, um, we've just concluded a most rewarding ministers' conference. I'd like to encourage those who will have the time and the energy to buy the tapes and listen to them. They're really, really good. And one of the things that we, we studied during the ministers' conference is simply the fact that, in fact, it holds down so well the fact that there's an angel over churches. Because if you look at Genesis 28, we looked at the dream of, jo- of Jacob. Jacob dreamed a dream in a place when he was running away. And in the dream he saw a ladder. And on the ladder he saw angels coming up and going, coming down and going up. And he saw somebody sitting at the top of the ladder. And he got up, he woke up from the dream and said, Ah, this is the house of what? Of God. Bethel means the house of God. And we know that the church is the house of where? Of, of God. You know, so he, he put, he erected a, a, an altar there and anointed the altar and then God spoke to him and then he went on his way. But the interesting thing is that the place that is called the house of God, Jacob calls it heaven's gate. You see, there's, there's a gate that leads from here to, to heaven. And the angels are always coming up and going down. I'll talk a lot more about that on Sunday. So it's not surprising that at the end of the Bible, Jesus says to the angel of the church. Why to the angel? Because those angels that Jacob saw going up and coming down, they do just one work. They work for you and I. In other words, they come down with messages from God. They come down with blessings from God. They come down with answers to prayers. They go back to God with your requests. They go back to God with your offerings, with your praise. Of course, if there's nothing to go to God from you, remember that we've always said that there's something in heaven where your name is written on it. So, they most likely will come back to you without anything also. So that the, the, the house of God is a house of order. It's a house where things are done in a particular way. You know, it's not a house of confusion. If we do not talk and run deliverance services all the time in the city of David, there's a reason for not walking in that direction. But then if people, one or two people wake up and begin to tell you that for everything in life you need deliverance, you need deliverance, you need deliverance. You need deliverance. Tell the person, this sounds like Jezebel's spirit. They are speaking out of tune with the house. There's a way the house runs. You notice that each church had a different what? Message. Each church had a different message. But when people are ignorant, it is easy for one person to gather them together and say, let us do this. It is good. It is not everything that is good that is approved of God. Anyway, let's go on with this study. The Jezebel spirit, Jesus said to the church in Thyatira, you see, you have allowed that woman Jezebel, who calleth herself a prophetess. She's self-appointed, we've spoken about that. You cannot have an independent ministry. So those of you who go to independent ministries, be careful. Be careful. Everybody has to have somebody that he submitted to. She calls herself a prophetess and she does something else. She doesn't prophesy. If you are a prophet or a prophetess, you should do what? Prophesy. But the Bible tells us that she teaches. In fact, the way the language is put, it says, that man who called, called herself a prophetess to teach. She calls herself a prophetess, but she does what? She teaches. 
There's nothing wrong with a woman being a prophetess. At the very first, in the very first chapter of Luke, there was a prophetess there called Anna. There's nothing even wrong with a prophet. The only thing is this. Prophecies are dangerous. They are dangerous because they come from three sources. God, the flesh, and Satan. And very often, you have a combination of any two. Once in a while, you have a direct word from Satan himself. Sometimes God speaks. And the flesh rubs off on what is being spoken. Because, anyway, the message that comes forth will only be as clean and pure as the vessel that is delivering the message. If a person believes in worship and if a prophecy comes through that person, it's not unlikely that the person will tie it up with worship and end up worshipping. If a person believes in demons and prophecy comes forth to that person, it's not unlikely that the person will at the end of the day tie the prophecy to demons, demonology and deliverance. But then we have a responsibility. Everybody here has a responsibility. You've got to be able to judge that which comes forth. You have a responsibility. If you understand carefully that a Jezebel can pull out from you that which you already have inside you, but which you are afraid to pull out yourself, then you understand that the enemy can use prophecies to derail you seriously. During the minister's conference, the general Vassia told us a particular issue that had to do with his own family. That three days to the wedding of his daughter, somebody who had prayed and fasted came to see him and told him categorically, clearly, undeniably that the Lord has spoken to him that his daughter, his only daughter, was his wife. He said he promptly gave her the invitation card for the wedding that was four days away. So we know that it wasn't the Lord who spoke. It wasn't the Lord. Because God doesn't make mistakes. And one of the responsibilities we have, one of the ways that you can judge prophecy, is prophecy must always be in line with the word of God. Second Peter 1.19 says that we have in God's word a, sure, a more sure word of prophecy. So that those people who are fond of dreaming and prophesying when I start telling you and I never let anybody tell me any prophecy. It's even out of order. Just hold your... I'll tell you to go and write it down. If you write it down, I won't even read it. Hebrews 1. Turn to Hebrews 1. Everything that God needs to say to you and I, very interestingly, it's already in the Bible. In Hebrews chapter 1, Verses 1 and 2, let us read together. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, let us read together. 1, 2, go. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. There was a time God had to use prophets to speak. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He says, but in these days, the last what? Days. We live in, these last, in the last days. He says he has spoken through who? His son. What he's saying is that he has spoken through his 
His Word. And the Word became flesh. So if you are looking for a Word that will tell you, go to Sokoto and walk in through a door, you get a contract and all that stuff. Be careful because everything that is said, you must weigh against the word of God. Peter says in Second Peter, the whole of chapter 1, he says, we, he was referring to himself, he says, we heard the voice on the Mount of Transfiguration. When God said, this is my beloved son. He said, we heard the voice. We saw the Transfiguration. He says, however, we have a more sure word that don't depend on seeing and hearing. It's very dangerous. Very dangerous. It's not every dream that makes sense. But there are people who always want to make sense out of every dream. They think it's a dream that is God that has spoken. There's no such thing. I mean, yes, God can speak through, through dreams. But God would rather, if you found out enough, if you found enough of the word of God in you, he would speak to you through his word. He would. But if the word is not there, then there's a problem. And once you don't have the word, then you are left to the whims and caprices of vagabonds. Don't go out today. Stay at home. Before you go out, pour water out. Step on the water. And the Christians even still do those things. It's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. That's why you find that white garment people, they live in the era of the Old Testament. We've, we've passed all of that. Even Paul, who was called directly by Jesus, he submitted himself to the other apostles. So when you see these ministries, try and find out who really are they submitted to. Who called them? When were they called? It's not everywhere they pray that you should go to. Some people, you know, have Christians have funny ideas. Ah, prayer is never too much. Pray for yourself. That's the era we live in now. Zero wisdom. What was she teaching? Because the Bible says, you suffered that woman, self-appointed prophet, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Very simply, she was teaching the deeper truths of the word of God. The deep mysteries of the word of God. And the, the interesting thing about many Christians is they are forever looking for the deeper truths. Meanwhile, you don't know, you've not read the Bible once, but you've been a Christian for ten years, and you are always looking for deep, deep, deep things. And I've had really, really big men of God preach error. Because you can't, you, if you preach something that is against the word of God, it is error. It is error. Anything that is not in line with the word of God is error. But people are forever looking for deep things. And the Bible is, that's why the Bible is so simple. So simple. When I teach in Bible college, I tell people, you want to interpret the Bible? Very simple. One main requirement. A very good knowledge of the English language. Very important. You don't understand English. Or you know, you know that many of these prophets, they don't know they was come. They, they, they speak bad grammar, but you can't interpret the Bible. Is this someone who can't speak English? Be careful how that person will interpret the Bible. And rule number one is interpret it as it says. 
just as it is. And then God will help you. After that, you can look for something else. You ask yourself a question. What is the relevance of this that I'm reading to myself? If you don't find any relevance to yourself, then you can leave it alone. That's why when I preach, I always use the expression, what is the relevance of this to us? What does this mean? The Bible is simple, if you want it to be simple. But if you are looking for deep truths, you will find there are many people willing to teach very deep things. Jesus called her truths. The truths of Satan. Further down there, Jesus refers to the fact that everything she was saying came from Satan. Yet she was inside the church. And one of the key things that she, she taught those people was simply the fact that sex was a spiritual experience and therefore could not be limited to marriage. You see, even today, if you preach it, there are some people who will buy it. There are people who will buy it. Because that's what they have been waiting for. Something, a little door that is inside the church that will allow them to do that which they want to do. Because the Bible tells us here that that people followed her. And people were getting pregnant in church. Who were not married. It's there. We'll do with it next week. So Jesus said, I will kill all their children with death. Not even with illness. What is the relevance of that teaching to you and I? What was she really saying? Because you say to yourself, as you are here today, well, nobody can tell me that sex is a spiritual experience. I won't even bother to listen. Yes? So the devil won't tell you that. What she was really saying was this. That sin in Christians is permissible because God will overlook it. That sin in Christians wasn't too serious. And we know that there are churches where they preach that once saved, always saved. The first day somebody told me that, I said, that's error. And the person had a mighty argument with me. Because that person has been hearing that story for five, six, seven years. And has believed it. And the person is in this church. And they walk in the church. And the person that was talking to me was a good Christian. Wasn't a wayward person. But just believed that once saved, always saved. That once you have said, I give my life to Jesus. From then on, nothing can stop you from going to heaven. Is that what the Bible says? Some say that it is impossible for you, for as long as you remain in this flesh, to sin. I mean, not to sin, rather. But that the blood of Jesus has washed away sin as in capital S-I-N. And that capital S-I-N of sin is a state of sin where you are continually sinning. Very good message. Because you and I know that except something is really wrong with a human being, even the person outside doesn't sin continually. It's not a machine of sin. Once in a while you have a good day that you go through and you don't do anything wrong. But what does the Bible say? Let's turn to John, 1 John 3, as we close. just want to show you the standards of God. First episode, general of John, chapter 3. I'll read from verse 1. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father had bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that 
when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doeth, doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12, Paul says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That is to those who are already saved, though. There is a walking out of the salvation. I go back to the story of Jacob and the ladder. You know, one of the interesting things about a ladder is that it has rungs, or more easily to understand, steps. But at the very top of the ladder is God. And we are, as Christians, meant to climb step by step until we get to where? the top we are not meant to remain just there at the bottom salvation is the first step on the ladder that's it but if you stay there and don't go anywhere anything can happen to you you can be like the people in the church in Thyatira can be committed yet compromised you really must spend time reading the Bible. Because as you read, you discover who God is. You discover different sides of God. That's why I want us all buy the tapes of the minister's conference and listen to the tapes. I know many won't. So whatever we know that is useful to you, we will talk to you about it um, in church. But basically, if you don't know what the Bible says, then you will never find out who you really are and where you are going. People will always decide for you. And they'll lead you astray. They will lead you astray. Let's bow our heads and just speak to the Lord today. First, thank Him for His Word. And then if you find that there are things in you that fit the bill of Jezebel, ask Him today to uproot it because the Bible says that every plant which my heavenly father has not planted shall be rooted up if you find that your whole soul and spirit is like a blank board and anybody comes and writes there you are ready to accept it then tell God today to help you to give you some backbone to be able to decide things for yourself And then maybe there's somebody here today. What you need to tell God is, well, I didn't know that it's not everybody that goes into church that's saved. And therefore, I want to really become saved. I want to accept that Jesus died for me because I've never really done so. I want to commit my life into his hands. If you are here, you need to pray that prayer. I say to you, congratulations today. Just put up your hand wherever you are. And the ushers will put a card in your hand. If you want to say to Jesus, Well, I don't understand all of these things. But I want to commit my life into your hands. Just put up your hand wherever you are. And we'll put a card in your hand. That's all. 
bless you. If anybody else wants to say to Jesus, here I am. I want to take you really seriously, God. Put up your hand wherever you are. God bless you. The Bible says for one soul that comes to Christ, there is joy in heaven. If you make God happy, God will make you happy. And besides, it's you who are just taking the right step. The Bible says nobody can come to Christ except God draws him. If you are sitting here today and God is drawing you, saying to you, you know you have to make a firm commitment to me. You can't continue living your life the way you are living your life. You need to make a commitment to me. Then put up your hand. That's all. Those two people who put up their hands who have cards, come, come to me and I want to just pray with you. Just come. somebody else who's sitting down there and knows that he or she ought to say to Jesus today, here I am Lord. Just speak to Jesus in your own words and just say, here I am. Have mercy upon me. Forgive me. And have mercy upon me, Lord. Accept me as one of your own. I accept that you died for me today. Write my name in the book of life. Just, just pray in any way that you know. we bless you we thank you we give you honor and glory Lord for you are worthy of praise worthy of adoration thank you for your word almighty God pour upon us the spirit of wisdom and understanding Lord Lord open our eyes open our hearts give us enablement Lord to spend time in your word so that we may be able to tell almighty God the difference between the deeper truths of the enemy and the word of God Help each one of us, Almighty God. We declare your majesty.
just bless the Lord. If we know that we are before His throne, then in His presence, all that happens is worship. So let's worship Him. Let's say, Lord, there's no one like unto Thee. We come before Your throne, Lord. Oh, we come, oh Lord. We bow before Your throne. Lord, we bless You, Almighty God. For You alone are God Almighty. Oh, we come, Almighty God, to the throne of the Most High. We come, oh Lord, to Your throne, Your throne of grace. And we take glory and honor of you unto you, Lord. Oh, blessed be your name, Lord. We worship you, Lord. From the depths of our being, from the bottom of our hearts, Lord, we worship you. We bless you. For you alone are worthy of worship. Only you, Lord. You say there's no one like you. Oh, who can compare unto thee, Lord? Glory of your holiness. The apple is risen. The ancient of days. Oh, the maker of the heavens and the earth. You who sit in heaven, oh Lord, and you reach out with your feet to the earth, your footstool. You, oh Lord, who was before the beginning, before you we come, before you we come, before you we bow, before you we worship, Lord. Oh, we bless you, we exalt you, we give you honor and glory. Yes, Lord. We bow before your throne, Lord, today. Oh, we bow, we worship you, Lord. Oh, Lord. We bow, we tremble before your throne, Lord. Oh, only you, Lord. Only, only you, Lord. Only you, Lord. Only you, Lord. Oh, yes, only you are worthy of praise. Worthy, Lord, of adoration. Oh, yes, Lord. Lord, we worship you and bless you, Lord. We give you glory and exalt you, Lord, today. We declare that you are Lord, Lord. Oh, yes, you alone are Lord, Lord. For you are the Lord of Lords. You alone are the King of Kings. You are the eternal and greater creator. Oh, yes, Lord. We bow before you today. We worship you, Almighty God. Yes, Lord.